Alex Carell is one of over 70,000 Google Career Certificate graduates. The Google Career Certificate program completely changed the trajectory of my life. I've always been interested in computers, but I never thought I could turn this into a career. Anytime I got a little break, I just pop open the course on my phone. That allowed me to have that path into a career that I'm passionate about. Train online for in-demand jobs in IT, UX design, data analytics, project management, and more. Visit grow.google/certificates. This episode is brought to you by the NHL on TNT. When it comes to hockey, the Stanley Cup playoffs are built different. Experience the intensity and insanity on the ice and off it. Starting May 5th on TNT and TBS. Get ready for seven game rounds of knockdowns, dragouts, pressure and agony as teams go head to head without ever letting up. The Stanley Cup playoffs are known for more than just a few cracked ribs and black eyes. Pushing through pain is the name of the game. With so much edge of your seat action, you'll refuse to shave or change your sweater. Don't say we didn't warn you. Ready to feel the rush? Watch the Stanley Cup playoffs beginning May 5th on TNT and TBS. Welcome to Honey Hole Hangout. That was like real loud. That was real loud. Oh, man. Have fun equalizing that, Landon. Were you ever in the rodeo clip? Did you ever do like Bronco Bronco Bustin or anything like that clip? That was was pretty good yeehaw. No. Well, you guys may have noticed that Cliff did not introduce us as Unmatch the Hatch. We officially have a new podcast name. Yeah. Honey Hole Hangout. That's, that's probably... <laughs> we're a little too early for the... Was it HMR? ASMR? ASMR. ASMR. But yeah, welcome to Honey Hole Hangout Podcast. Yeah. Nothing's changed other than our name. No, same thing. We just, you know, we are Honey Hole Angling as a parent company and want to make sure that, that comes across in our podcast. Yep. Just trying to... Do we have a company I thought we weren't reporting to the... I'm just kidding. (laughs) That was a joke. Zach was like, (laughs) (laughs) I was a little nervous there too. (laughs) Who did I send my social to? (laughs) Have you checked your bank accounts lately? Oh God. I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. So, um, well, you guys know where to reach us. Honeyholeangling.com. Oh, I did want to give a shout out on the podcast. Do we, have a, do we have 10 reviews? Is that the shout-out? No, we do not. We still have two. <laughs> okay. well, um, hey, guys, if, I know there's more than eight listeners out there. Go review us. I would say if we don't get the 10 reviews within, like, two more podcasts, we just pick one at random. Or maybe, well, we, maybe we sweeten the deal and, we'll and, call get, them, and get 20 reviews. No, because I think the two people that have actually put in the effort to go review, they deserve <laughs> something. That's true. So maybe what we could do is call them. And get them to do rock, paper, scissors on La Bear. <laughs> right. And then yeah. uh, whoever wins. Or we could have we a could. or we could have a game where we get callers to call in and they have to pick and tell us if that's the name of a fly or a made up name. That's a good idea. Dude, that is a great idea. But what I if would they, love to do what if they that. both 
get it right. That is a well, great no. You idea. have to have like you have to have like several questions. They go back and forth, and whoever ends up with the most at the end of the yeah. rounds win. Yeah. And you could have a bonus round that's like, or you could do like hard. we play trivia with them. What yeah. type of fly is this name? And you give them like multiple choice, like A terrestrial, B nymph, and they have to like yeah. multiple choice. I like that. Get the Velociraptor. <laughs> <laughs> so back to my shout out. I want to give a shout out to our Canadian listener. Yay! <laughs> I know. We appreciate you listening. Do we know their name? We do, do we not. know who We it have is? one Canadian yeah. listener, and our friends to the north are most welcome to listen to our podcast. Yeah, they yes. are. We also have a listener from the Netherlands. Oh, how are you doing? Across the across the lake. <laughs> <laughs> how are you doing, Netherlands? You feeling all right tonight? Yeah. So and we're officially international. Yeah, we are. We are officially international. And we also have a listener from Germany. Guten Tag. Oh. <laughs> yeah. If any of our friends from any of the other nations will reach out to us, we would love to have you on a podcast. How could they call internationally? Uh, Discord. Oh, okay. oh dude. Yeah. No problem. I, I've i got like a Skype phone app that you can call anywhere in the world. Oh, okay. Yeah, we can make this happen. Damn. I have a subscription, Humble not brag. regular Skype, the nice one. No, it's for work. <laughs> not a problem. So, I got Zoom Premium. <laughs> you pee on. Dude, I have Zoom. Okay, we're going to sort this out. One, it's gold, not premium. And two, I have PSA free check, so I don't have to hang out with everyone else. <laughs> Dang. So, we appreciate our... Uh, our friends listening from other countries. We know why he lives in Austin now. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. you guys want to hear some of our other analytics? God. I do now. Okay. Yeah. 70% of our listeners li- listen on Apple Podcasts. Okay. 10% are on Spotify. 4% are on Overcast. Okay. The other category is 14%. Dude, the 4% on Overcast, hands down, is my family because they all love that app. Oh, really? That's (laughs) hilarious. Yes. Like, hands down, that's my dad and brother. We also get get a good amount of listens on YouTube, but that's not being thrown into these numbers. Um, Age demographics, the number one age demographic that listens to our podcast is 23 to 27. Okay. Yeah, I figured. Yeah. Dang, I'm older than the average yeah. age person that listens Same, to podcasts. Dude. <laughs> so. dude, I'm older than you, Cliff. Barely, but yeah. Well, th- guys, we really appreciate y'all listening to our podcast. We do. We're excited to call it Honey Hole Hangout. I think it's fits perfectly because we just we hang out and we honey hole and, and, we, and we honey. Hole. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, ooh, questions. And hot takes. So, first of all, I'm going to start off with, um, I'm going to start off. So, Killer Fuzz. Yeah? What's mm-hmm. com- what about him? So, he submits something almost every week. Yeah, he does. He keeps us going. He keeps us going. Um, and He's loyal, I don't man. remember the I exact like conversation, but we were talking about arrows, archery, and drawback. And he said heavy arrows and light drawn bows can kill any North American animal. And I think that was in relation to our conversation. No, I think he's I think he's making a hot take out of it. I don't think it's directed necessarily towards my comment, although it leads into what I made lo- comment of last week. 
Because I think you said, said 40 pounds. I think you said 40 pounds. Either 40 or 45. I think I said 45. Because that's normally just mm-hmm. my gold standard. Yeah. Um. I mean, I agree with him mm-hmm. to an extent. But it's all a mathematical equation. Yeah. If you're pushing an arrow out on a lighter poundage bow, a heavier arrow is going to fly slower yep. and not as far. A lighter arrow on a lighter poundage bow is going to fly faster and farther. Also, if your bow and arrows are not in tuned and in sync with each other, it is also prone to what is called porpoising, which means it vibrates up and down in a like a porpoise tail pattern almost like a dolphin yes or in a fish tail which means it's going to go left to right which means that the coming out of the arrow or coming out of the bow every arrow does that it flexes it goes in the spine of it it's more to do with the spine than the actual weight right the lighter poundage like I was shooting a 400 grain spine, or a 400 spine, not grain, a 400 spine out of a 60-pound bow. What grain grain do you shoot, 100? My broadheads? Yeah. I shoot 125s now. Okay. But I've changed, like, my whole arrow setup. But what was happening is when I redid my bows, or my bow, and I upgraded, I upped my poundage but I was using the same arrows. And the arrows that I had were for a lighter poundage bow. And when I would shoot them, it would cause a bad porpoising effect in which the arrow did not straighten out quickly enough downrange, and it will cause you to miss shots, Mm -hmm. like as far as accuracy goes. Okay. And so I turned up or turn down the bow just to slightly under spec from Matthews, and it fixed the problem of porpoising. Then when I went up to my 340s spined arrow, that's a heavier weight, or a heavier grain in the shaft. It's a heavier grain up front. It also caused it to straighten out quicker, Mm -hmm. and I had to... Put my bow or back up the up. poundage back, back up. up into spec to get it. So I'm taking his question or his comment as more of a hot take. I don't think it was. It doesn't. It, and maybe it was a hot take, but the way it's worded, I don't think it's a hot take. I think he's more responding to your. And I, look, I'll say, and I don't know that much, but from what I talked about, yes, you can kill. Probably any animal in North America with a lighter poundage bow, yeah. but you're you going to be kill anything <clears throat> in North America technically with a 22. Yeah, in the right shot placement. That's yeah. what it is. That's a good it, analogy. It or it a knife attached to a stick. Right. <laughs> you you can kill it. Yes, I'm not yeah. denying that. But effectiveness for hunting. Correct. Right. I mean, like to. if I'm five feet or five yards away from a moose and I have that set up, I'm probably going to kill it. Correct. Right? But. If you get twenty five yards, thirty yards, then there's a lot change. more. There's a lot more variable mm-hmm. right. in that. Yeah. Plus, what is a longbow poundage anyways? It's like twenty five or thirty pounds. No, they it? can get up to a hundred. Oh, can they? Yeah. Oh, he also called out. I think someone called him hot fuzz. 
Yeah, I called them Hot Fuzz. It's Killer Fuzz. My bad. Hot Fuzz is a I mean, great movie. Let's not get let's not get butt hurt. I think names. we corrected. Have it. Have you guys seen Hot Fuzz? Yeah, the movie. It's fantastic. No, I haven't seen it. It's great. You should watch. Uh, it. Hot take. Crocs are underrated. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm there with that. They're you going, think it's a hot oh, take? Or? No, it's not a hot take. They're actually coming back in style, so it's the opposite of a hot take. You're actually in take with a lot of people right now. Well, I would say I love Crocs, and I get a lot of crap for them. So I would think, I would actually agree that it's a hot take, but I agree with the hot take in the sense of eh, my family thinks it's ridiculous that I wear Crocs. Yeah, all I know is all those people out there in Holly Weird are wearing Crocs all the time. Oh, really? That was supposed to be funny because Holly Weird did it. No, I, I got it. I just like didn't laugh out loud. Dang it. It didn't force like a the laughter emotion to come out. Oh, 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 oh. There you go. That's oh. great. Thanks, guys. I don't know. I don't I don't have strong opinions pro or anti-croc. You or don't have any opinions, Cliff. But your Crocs, Take a are, stance. your Crocs are also camo, right? No, no. Mine are gray. They're also the four-wheel drive Crocs. That's what I like to call them. They've got the deeper tread. That's right. So maybe that's why they're going for No, those yeah. are just mud terrain tires on it. Because we like drive, <laughs> they all come four wheel drive. It's, it's that no, strap no, no. in the forward position right. or in the back position. Yeah, it's no, from no, going no. to two wheel drive to four wheel drive. No, no, no. Mine are definitely. Yeah, but his are, his like, are like, like six wheel drive. You yeah. know, like that guy who has like the six wheeler thinking like, oh, when the world comes a crashing, I'm going out into the middle of nowhere with my six wheeler. Have you ever driven uh, a six wheeler? Yeah. No. They're. Fun. You've I driven it? Yeah. Dang. So would you equate your Crocs to a six-wheeler? I'd say he has four-wheel I'd say they're overkill. I would say my Crocs are overkill. Like, I could go by with standard Crocs. So maybe that's why people poke fun of your Crocs, is because they're the overdone ones. Well, I don't care. They're amazing. I mean, because, like, like, Post Malone has his own Crocs coming out right now. I will say, when I took Carson fishing on the quad last winter, he forgot his wading boots. Guess what he was able to fish in with his waders? Your Crocs. My four-wheel drive Crocs. I thought they were my waders. They were your waders. Yeah. Maybe I'm, I'm going to go get some Crocs now. They were those right there. Yeah. That sounds pretty nice. If they're leaking, now you know why. Yeah. Those are, Crocs. My, those are my standby waders. Because yeah, the Crocs. I didn't give them <laughs> Who knows like what kind of... I mean, his feet were like kind of protected, but they're, they're Crocs. Okay. Um, hot take. You do not need... A third shot for birds over and unders is a better bird gun. Okay. Yeah, I agree. That's because all I use is over. Cliff, I want you, you always take the middle ground. Take an opinion. And take I don't a always take the middle ground. Okay, what's your opinion on this? Yeah, I, I know that there's an irritability inside you right now, and I want you to bring it out on air. Let me feel it. Let me feel it. What type of bird is he talking about? Dove. I'd say third shot's better. Duck. I think a pump action is better. Pump action. Or any... Okay, so here. I'll, I'll just call it a bird and you say over, under, or pump. Okay? Okay. Dove. Pump. Quail. Pump. Duck. Pump. Javelina. Oh, bird. <laughs> <laughs> throw it in the air hard enough. Um, I'm, okay, I'm going to, for the sake of a hot take and like going ESPN style, I'm going to disagree on dove. Yeah, for, I think... Plus, a lot of times when I go dove hunting, I just want to look cool doing it. And so the over no, no, under. No. I'm is, not even going in style. I'm going uh, over under is more effective than a pump. I Straight should, up more. I don't effective. know what it is. It you might be mentally. You can get two shots off faster 
Yeah. Then you can get two shots off with a pump. Doves fly fast. That's because you don't know those. how to work the pump correctly. No, I actually, I like where Landon's going with this. Yeah, no, no. I know how to work. I have a pump shotgun. I know how to work a pump. Yeah, I think. But for, I can shoot two shots significantly faster. And without than even you thinking about it. like Two like, shots boom. with a pump. And I'd rather have two fast shots dove hunting than I would have three shots total with a pump. I do. I've you know I've never thought about it like that. I like that stance. I'm I'm over here on Team Landon now. Bring it, Cliff. Bring it. I think y'all just missed out. <laughs> <laughs> no. All right. So I'm going to take a pseudo middle ground. No, no. no you have to stick no, with your listen, pump. Listen, listen. <laughs> and I wouldn't ever necessarily say pump. I'm also going to say like semi autos. I'm mm-hmm. throwing in that same category, but. Dove and quell, I'm not going to look down on you if you choose to do an over under. I oh, think you look that's good enough. I think you look pretentious. Why? Wow. But I'd say that. Upland hunting. I would say the over and under or a side by side all day long. On like a true upland, like chucker, pheasant, quail style hunt. So why on that? I think that's more the tradition. Okay. It comes I'm not down even going to gonna, I'm not even gonna make tradition. I'm just going to say in those types of hunt, I would rather have two quick shots. And it's if more we're, effective. It's more effective. If we're going to talk about like over under versus automatic, where you can maybe get a third shot and it could be just as fast, then, you know, I could have that conversation. But if we're talking about over and under versus pump in like an upland where you get two shots versus three, I'm going to take the two fast shots. Plus two, I wonder if there's any studies out there about how accurate your second shot is because on an over-under, because there's less movement in the gun, if you're tracking that bird better versus I, the second you start pumping, if even like a, you know, even if you move the edge of that barrel, you know, a millimeter, I always you're still on, moving it. I always shoot better on my second shot. Yeah. Always. So I don't know. I, mean, yeah, I see I, where you're coming from. I just... But I would agree with you. There's I some think, hunts where I, you would not want an over-under at all, like a duck hunt. And I would say I subscribe more towards because I do want to be semi. I mean, some people who listen to this would say, oh, you need to buy everything with parents. Um, but I would say I would rather have a gun that I can do everything with. Mm-hmm. And that's why I choose my... Benelli Supernova, because A, it's an affordable price point. Mm-hmm. You're getting a top-tier gun, mm-hmm. and you can use it everywhere, from duck hunting to shotgun deer hunting mm-hmm. to goose hunting to dove. Yeah, this is, this is where I could take an agreeing stance with you, is that if you're looking for one shotgun to do everything, I would probably take a pump or right. an automatic. I would say... But if I could have two shotguns, I'm going to have a 12-gauge pump or automatic, and I'm going to have a 20-gauge over and under. See, I will disagree with you there. 12-gauge over and under. No, I'd probably go to the... 20 gauge over and under. Duke it out, Cliff. I have the 12 gauge, and so I'm, exact- I'm going to take the 12 gauge. Plus my 12 gauge is I, I, I get it. Um, I just think with a lot of like foul, foul, foul. Yeah. I feel like that sounds weird. Flying me foul. Yes, foul hunting. I think a big issue 
and this is on a dove mindset even because there's already regulations on duck but lead is a big issue in tainting the earth and tainting birds and yeah, stuff like that. Arguably, my 12-gauge shoots steel better than a 20-gauge. I think bismuth would be a better. And with the introduction of bismuth in tungsten shots, a lot of guys are, are actually going towards these smaller gauges. Like, now it's... It's a thing for people to start buying like 28 gauges and 16 gauges and using that. So to keep with like the tradition of the gun, I would say 12 gauge pump or semi-auto and I would go 20 gauge over and under just to keep with the tradition is where I'm coming from on it. Gotcha. Ian, Dude, we, you, you didn't get a word in. Yeah, so gotcha. let's, let's, what's your opinion, Ian? Okay, first off, 28 gauge shotguns are the four weights of bass fishing like yeah they work but they're used by hipsters okay um <laughs> now like if you shoot a 28 gauge or a 16 gauge like come on man um how do you even buy your like shots we, for 16 gauge yeah we get it yeah no I, I didn't mean that to you i meant that toward like hipsters right like 28 gauge like yes i get it you're shooting grouse or something but um, i'm just saying that they're in the hunting community there is a big movement towards those right now for even waterfowl mm-hmm. because of these yeah. heavier shot loads that we're getting yeah. nowadays. I think we I think we all made our points. I think my opinion is, so I started with a pump, and I still love it, 20-gauge pump, uh, 870, 28-inch barrel. You know, and you can buy them anywhere in the States, literally anywhere. Um, and now I shoot an over and under. I like over and unders because I think – um, there is less action when you have to pump. Um, and I do like them for the tradition, but I'm in the middle. I also see Cliff's point, you know, like I have a fairly cheaper over and under that I bought. It's 30 years old. Um, and I love it and I love to hunt with it. Um, but if you were going to be hunting all types of waterfowl, um, and dubs, upland and wetland, you and you want to buy one gun or you're at the position where you know your your current budget is one gun you should get a pump that's my opinion because i would i would, um, say, I would agree if someone was looking yeah. to get into hunting and they were like i need yeah i need buy a one pump. gun yeah one if gun is never, all i can afford if you didn't right grow now. up hunting a lot um you get that extra shot that is beneficial especially when you're starting out and you can use it for more hunts mm-hmm. i think Here's my thing with the extra shot. If you're shooting two birds flying, one bird flying by, it's kind of cheap. But if you see a flock, that extra shot has advantages. You know what I mean? Like, let's say you see a swarm of doves and you shoot at two and then you need to shoot at a third. Like, there's a case to be made for that, right? If you're taking three shots at one bird, yeah, a little sketchy. But if... If they're really flying, I mean, there's a lot of advantages to having that third shot. That's why, I and just, I do hunt that's with why, my pump sometimes. That's why I take a gun boy. All right, I have my over and under. <laughs> I got two shots. As soon as I finish pulling the trigger, he hands me a fresh gun with two shots. Are, are you wearing shooting. a tweed cap and knee high boots as I well? Am. I am. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Lodging, sipping uh, scotch, seventy-year-old McCollum's. Underneath a elk that's been 
dead for 120 years. Exactly. That's yeah. my style. Shot talking by Roosevelt the, himself. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Don't get me started on how I tweet as a superior a, hunting material. <laughs> no offense, UK. We love you guys. Uh, but we don't have yeah. any UK listeners. Yeah, we don't have to pander to them yet. Okay, never mind. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Forget what I just said. <laughs> okay. Um, I think we're all going to agree with this one, but hot take, Tinkara is nothing but an expensive cane pole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, uh, is that really a yeah. hot take? Like, I think it's been... And, and w- w- with our position and what we do, no, but there's, like, probably a... We would be outnumbered if we, you know, went across the population. Yeah. And, okay. I'm going to say this once in a million people have said this. Tinkara is for people who can't cast. End of story. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I'll, I'll play a little devil's advocate. Zach has a Tinkara rod, so I bring do. it on, Zach. Yeah, I will. <laughs> I mean, like, like I said, I've used it only a handful of times. Um, because it's inferior. It is inferior, but <laughs> it has its place. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to say out here. No, no, you guys are good. I'm not going to sit out here and say, like, no, I would, you know, if you handed me a rod and reel, I'd pick the Tinkara rod over it. I would never would do that, right? Uh, but it has its place, and I do understand people's mentality of wanting to go out there with a minimalist approach, especially when realistically most of your casts are within 15 feet, mm-hmm. right? Like the Dakara does get it done. And I, I could, do under also to Zach's point on the mineral minimalist approach, you really start getting into this. You can end up getting a lot of gear and a lot of stuff you don't need. And for if sure. you want it to be simple. See, I can see the, the value of having a Tinkara rod like for backcountry hunting yeah. has something else to do because it packs into less than a foot yeah. long. Yeah. Like you can slide it down. The one I have is pack. like less than 10 inches long, I think. Yeah. Uh, but let's, let's, let, let's pack in the backcountry. Let's call it what it is. It's a cane pole. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like it <laughs> is I don't, a cane I pole. don't think that there's anything wrong with saying that. No, because like think, I have great memories of when I was a kid hunting or fishing with my grandpa using a cane pole. Uh-huh. You know, you put a little worm on the end of it and you catch fish and you have a great time. And like those are memories I'm going to have for the rest of my life. Uh-huh. I think um, the debate is kind of like misfounded in like putting your nose up at like the very basic gear. Mm hmm. I don't think that it's wrong to use. I'm not saying you're wrong in your way of fishing because you want to, you choose to use a Tenkara rod. Mm-hmm. I, I just think, don't think, I think that it is inferior. I think they get a bad, here, here's my thing. I think it gets a bad rap in the sense that, and this isn't everyone that I, because I know a lot of people that Tenkara, but there, I have met people that, as soon as you start talking about fishing, they cannot wait to tell you that they fish with a Tinkara rod. It's like... So it's like being a vegan. It's like being a vegan. Yeah, it's yeah, like, oh it's like they're holding their breath. You start talking about, you start talking about fly fishing, they're holding their breath. Fuck, I fish a Tinkara rod. Oh, gosh, I had to get that out. Yeah, so like the, it's I like, had to get that out. It's, <sighs> a, it's a mentality of... And I think that's where people find it annoying because yeah, they go out and they're fishing and it's like... It's a mentality of oh, you're trying to persuade, you're trying to portray it as being more elitist, and then people are just bringing you down a peg. Right, and like fly fishing is already elitist. Like we, it is. We Let's are be right. Um, yeah, because y'all, y'all, we all talk about like oh, bait chunkers just stupid. Right. Just we all hey, do. I all. chunk bait and no, so do I. I don't care. Yeah, and it so like what? Tinkara, like, Tinkara is like 
Okay, I'm going to make this analogy. I'm going to see if this goes through. Tenkara is cool unless you hook into a massive fish and then you're hosed. Like, if you need a reel, like, it's going to run. It's like if you live in a tiny house, like, which are really popular. Tiny houses are cool until you, you get diarrhea and <laughs> you have company over. You really have to go. Like, they work for some situations. They don't work for all situations. Mm-hmm. And so, but overall, if you have to choose, say no to the car. <laughs> I no, think I, I could poop in a um, tiny house. I think we need to explain. Yeah, but like, what if you had company over and you got fiery diarrhea, dude, and the house is like 60 square feet? Like, that's a big, <laughs> I think that's we need like to a huge issue. Take a minute okay. to kind of explain what exactly a 10-car rod is. Because I know we yeah, do have listeners good. who... Granted, we are a hunting and fishing yeah. podcast, so we would assume that the majority of our listeners have a basic understanding okay. of some of the stuff. I, don't know. Tinkara, me, I, agree. Me, I think Takara, like people don't know what that is necessarily. Let me explain what it is. It's a cane pole. <laughs> <laughs> so if you don't yeah. know what a cane pole is, let me explain it to you. <laughs> Google and car rod, that's a cane pole. It's a long rod without a reel, and the line is attached to the tip of the rod rather than going down any kind of ferrules or going down any kind Got of guides. Five. And it's normally, what, 12 foot long? Yeah, mine is. Whereas a standard yeah. fly rod is normally nine foot long. Yep. Yeah, no, but something yeah. no, the extra sixteen reach. feet long. Like, yeah, it's, and I'm a talking, lot of them are telescoping too, I'm, so you can have one that's that will telescope from like ten feet to thirteen feet, and you can kind of find yeah. the length that you. Well, want. that's why, and people like I said, most people get them because of the minimalist thing. I know people who do like through hikes get them a lot because yeah. they can shove them in their backpack, and that's where I would do it. Like hunting the backcountry mm-hmm. or a through hike, ten car rod, a hundred percent. As much as much as I'm making fun of them, like that's the rod I'm. They taking. have a place. Right? They have a place, um, but the place is just not ninety nine percent of the yeah. time. Yep, and if you, I, if you fish a ten car rod, you know maybe like. Don't be You're a guy right, that's sir. like can't wait to like tell everyone. I think that's for sure. That's that. I would say that's more of it. Like, yeah, if you want to fish one, fine, that's great. Like, they definitely have their place, and I do think they are convenient in the sense of where you can store mm-hmm. them and stuff. However, there's no need to go into a store and be like, I fished in car. Like, just buy your flies. You I, oh, I ha- I met a guy on the river one time fishing. He had seven ten car rods on him, and three of them were like put together and like loaded and he was like walking down the river with them and I chatted with them and like obviously I knew he was fishing the car so he didn't have to like break it out to me but like to have three rods with you loaded and ready to go he's like oh I have this one because I need like if you have to have three rods to catch fish like loaded out to catch fish is it the most effective thing like if you have to have three was he on a boat uh, no, he was waiting. I don't even I would say three rods is, on a boat. I would say he's the opposite of Sinkara mentality, right? Because it's all about like minimalist, one fly catches every fish. I think he's doing it because the, the fad and the fad of it, yeah. like being a contrarian. Well, because like as more people pick up fly fishing, fly fishing was like the elite thing to do when like compared to like conventional, right? But as more people pick it up, there's going to be people who want to do the different thing. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be Tinkara next, right? Is there another question? There's one more question. And I looked at the time and we need to. Yep. um, Fly Fishing Hunter. What's up, Hunter? What up, dude? uh, Okay. His question, not a hot take. If bear, let me read this, see if you guys can understand. If bears beats Battlestar Galactica, 
Who you got for a fight? Bear King versus Lalachusa. Oh, man. Which one was the Lalachusa? Lalachusa was, was the, the witch. The owl witch. The owl witch. The banshee. Yeah, I guess. I'm taking Lalachusa. <clears throat> Over the Bear King. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really? Gonna, yeah, because she has number one, a witch. Okay. Like, she has powers. And an has owl. lightning powers. Yeah, that's true. And an owl. I mean, <sighs> and apparently the Bear King got killed. So if humans can kill him, I know uh, a Lala Chusa can. can. Yeah, he stole the girl, lost the girl, stole the girl back again, didn't he? T- stole yeah, the girl, story. lost the girl, died. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to some measly Chusa. humans. <laughs> okay. <laughs> With a couple of Yeah, guns. Bear King doesn't even exist anymore. Lala Chusa's like outside right now watching us podcast. No, hopefully not, because remember, they call you outside and then you die. Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, this. Uh, let's battle up. We, okay. Battle we, the creatures. Okay. Okay. What we need to do is when we get 64 creature watches in, we need to get a March Madness creature oh, watch tournament. my gosh. And then get people great. to vote. That's what we're going to do. We're going to do a March Madness creature watch We should tournament. still do 32 in this next March. Yeah, we'll 32. probably hit it by then. Yeah. We need to uh, find someone who can run, like, computer programming mm-hmm. and, like, create these mythical creatures in like a program like they do like the beast shows on like discovery channel where they battle out or like ninja versus whatever oh, yeah yeah where they're like probability stuff yeah. oh that would be sweet let's get on that that, that <laughs> would be sweet cool cool that was the last question so we can move um oh before we move into our segments you guys know how we think Flat Earth and Flat Earthers are ridiculous. Ridiculous. If you guys have not seen, we have just launched a new sticker. Yeah, we did. It is amazing. You should go to our Instagram. It is our most recent post. Probably will not be our most recent post by the time that this podcast comes out. No. But it is a Flat Earth-inspired sticker that says Fish the Flats. It's amazing. The stickers will be in soon. And if you guys go in and comment your favorite flat earth joke, which I might get the ball rolling personally, get a joke out there. Um, and yeah, we'll pick one. We'll send you a free sticker pack of that and some other and some other swag. And yeah, maybe we should tag Flat Earth Society, get the ball rolling with some like actual flat earthers. Right. Just get a, to, yeah. Yeah. Cause <laughs> <laughs> some real fights. So I, I, I don't care. But uh, let's move into our segments. Cool. Uh, let's see who wants to go first. What's yeah, up? I've got a good one. I oh. got Ian called. Uh, Ian's, right. Ian's like, I got a good one. Let's do let's it. Let's see. Neat things okay. in nature. That's pretty neat. <laughs> this was posted by the Associated Press and reported by ABC News and Los Angeles Times and whoever's associated with the press. There was a bunch of parrots at a British zoo that they had to separate because all they were doing was swearing. Um, they were doing what? what? The parrots were swearing. Swearing. Like, and what? so the title, this is from ABC <laughs> News, basically, it says gray parrots separated at zoo after swearing a blue streak. Um, so, yeah, it was at, um, here's a quote from Steve Nichols, 
who was the zoo's chief executive, he said, we are quite used to parrots swearing, but we've never had five do it at the same time. So um, I'm sorry, but like we've never had five night. at the same time. Yeah, um, most parrots clam up outside, but for some reason, these five relish in it. They said, um, basically, the visitors didn't really complain, but the parrots were just cussing each other out, um, and they apparently didn't want children to hear it. And apparently, all the parrots got together, uh, yeah, and were just cussing, um, which is really interesting. Um, What would you do if you just walked up to a parrot and started, like, cursing at you? I'd laugh. I would laugh. That'd be hilarious. My cell phone would fly out of my pocket. (laughs) I don't know if you guys. (laughs) I don't know if you guys knew this, but uh, Andrew Jackson, the president, had a parrot named Paul. He had an African gray parrot, if I'm remembering correctly. And at his funeral, they had to take it outside because it started cussing. And um, given you know this is a few hundred years ago, but one of the guys who was at the funeral wrote. you know, like a, uh, a diary article about it. And yeah, apparently it was like disrupting the service. So maybe parents swear a lot, but they don't you know, swear. Don't they just mimic the noises that they hear. So if they're swearing a lot, then they've picked it up from either their, their owner caretaker. or caretaker. Yeah. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, that's probably true. But there was five of them and they were all swearing at the same time. And if one learns yeah. the word, then all the yeah. others can repeat it. Like if That's I had a Lincolnshire wildlife park. If I had a parrot and it just started cussing, I'd be like, well, I clearly need to watch my language Man, more. Man, <laughs> what's up with birds? Two like crazy bird stories in a row. I mean, they're sailors. Do you guys like the title of our last <laughs> podcast? Sailors. <laughs> Do you guys like the title of our last podcast? How far would you go uh, to save yeah. the species? Yeah, I like that one. Yeah. Uh, All right. That's it. Bunch of parrots cursing. Thanks. If you yeah, want to read dude, more about it, that's you know, that's pretty neat. Press, <laughs> go to Associated Press or just Google uh, parrots swearing, and I'm sure the article will come up. That's awesome. I'll go next on patrol. On patrol. So, according to nps.gov. He's looking at a picture that looks kind of like a zombie. Yeah, well, okay. So, as a follow-up to last week, if you guys didn't catch it, we talked about national park deaths, and I said I was going to start a series on national park cold cases. Okay. This is our first cold case, and I have a really good one next week. I had a hard time deciding. I thought this one would be a, an interesting one to start because this gentleman uh, who is missing was actually a uh, park ranger. Oh, man. Um, name His name is Paul Braxton... Um, and he went missing on January 13th, 1980, and he was 41 at the time. Um, so he was 41 at the time? He was 41 at the time, yeah. He went for a hike after his shift and uh, vanished without a trace, basically. And he was a park ranger. He was a park ranger. Okay. So he knew the park, and I think people also knew that he was going... Like he had told, hey, I'm going on a hike after work. I'm going to do this trail. And where so was this? This was in. This is why there was a long silence for me because I was going to. Uh, I was about to botch the pronunciation. Uh, do you know that pronunciation? I should have looked it up beforehand. Chiricahua. That's how I would say. Chiricahua National Monument. Yeah, where is that? What state? 
Um, you know, I you don't know. know. Uh, would you look that up for me, Cliff? Chiriquahua. Chiriquahua National Monument, Cliff. How do you spell it? Chiriquahua. <laughs> C H I R A C H I R I C A H U A H U A. So anyways, go Southeastern on. Southeastern Arizona. Oh, okay. Okay, Arizona. Cool. So he actually has a $60,000 reward fund for information that will lead to... 60 grand to find 60 this 60 grand. Yeah, it's a pretty big deal. And it happened in 1980, so... And it's still 60 grand? It's still 60 grand. Like, I mean, like, if I find this guy now, I imagine... Well, he'd be... Is it 60 grand in, like, 1960s money or in... No, that's... that's I imagine it rose with inflation. It, it has rose in... More recently, um, wait, wait. So, did somebody got lost? I missed part of that. Dog. Yeah, it's a park ranger got lost in southeast Arizona. Yeah. And if we find him, then we get rich. Yeah, and he was 41 at the time. That would make him 80 now if he was still alive. Dude, but he's not. There's he's not you know what? Ian, there's weirder things out yeah. there. Um, than an 80 year old dude living in the woods decades after Didn't they just find like db cooper's treasure yeah exactly that? see like db cooper was just found yeah wait did they solve db cooper it might not have been db cooper but they found some dude who like buried a bunch of treasure that was a guy in San oh, no no that wasn't db cooper that was the guy who wrote the poem yeah and the poem led to treasure in the middle of rocky mountain national forest no i think it was in santa fe like the guy lived in santa fe and he did but he planted it in a national forest okay with clues. wait are you are you talking about that dude who put a treasure out there and they created like an elaborate clue system that was yeah. in new mexico yeah. Yeah. yeah and they found it yeah. yeah yeah they just found it like this year and multiple people died trying to find it yeah no like Ooh, every year report on that that'd be oh, kind yeah, of fun that. okay anyway uh decades after initial leads um uh, his case went cold new information prompted them to actually raise the reward it doesn't say what year the new information came out but it's still active on their website because they actually on the nps.gov website they have all their active cold cases so what is the new information it doesn't necessarily say um on january 13th uh he was working in the visitor center about 2 p.m that day he left the building to hike a park trail and was never seen again he was wearing his green and gray Park Service uniform, including the official National Park System arrowhead patch on his upper shirt sleeve and a gold-colored Ranger badge pinned over his heart. Although search team combed the surrounding area extensively multiple times, they found no sign of the missing Ranger. Investigators suspected foul play early on, and a formal missing persons case remains open. During the first few years uh, after his disappearance, the reward uh, was at $20,000, with this renewed focus, it's now offering up to $60,000 for information leading to his whereabouts uh, and or the arrest and conviction of whoever's responsible for his dis- disappearance. Wait. Okay, so, wh- so why are they assuming what that he disappeared this like from? this? Uh, Nationalparksystem.gov, Ian. Okay. Yeah, yeah straight from the source. Um, this is the most information I found, too, because I tried to check other sources. Basically, the same, reworded the same. There isn't any more, like, information. They're probably keep, like, an investigation thing is they keep a lot of information, especially if they have, like, a pretty solid lead and they don't want it to get out because they're going to get a lot of fake leads. Basically, You know, you release something and then there's a $60,000 reward, so they're going to get 10,000 calls. 
You know what I mean? Just for people just... My Uncle Jimbo said he once was a park ranger and ran off the field. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So, you know, they try to keep that information close to their chest. So there's probably something in this case that is pretty clear evidence that he he was taken, um, kidnapped or whatever. They also... They knew what trail he was hiking. So if he legitimately made it to the trail um, and was hiking that trail and they... I got to imagine they were looking for him for a couple weeks at least all around that area. Oh, yeah. And if he knew the national park, you wouldn't think that if he was a ranger that he's just not going to walk off and get lost like the average person. Um, and so I think it's the way this reads, it's pretty clear that there's foul play. but um, And they probably have some kind of evidence to suggest that, but they're looking for more information. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. And... <coughs> and Old cases like this have been solved on podcasts before. Ooh. Oh, so we're, you're saying we are like, we could be the people who solve this case. Well, I'm saying like there, are like there are multiple like cold case podcasts where they review a cold case and someone's like, I know exactly. Like they knew like just someone listening is like, oh, I know about that. But for whatever reason, they didn't like tell the authorities or they didn't know that that's who was involved and they had information yeah, and um but like a random person that's on a podcast you know how amazing would it be if the guy from canada knew <laughs> <laughs> like he's the one who solves the case I know. Or, yeah, the guy from Germany. or the something. girl from canada yeah. we don't know the or person girl. from canada yeah. yeah the person from canada but this is a wait this is in arizona yeah happened in arizona dude eric i live Lived there for ten years, man. Arizona sketchy things happen in Arizona all the time. It's the middle of the desert. Yeah, you know, it's true. Like, especially outside of Phoenix, like crazy you, things happen. If you in want, the if you if you want to disappear, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, Nevada—great place to do it. If you guys have any information, who can on, they call? You can call the tip line at eight eight eight. Call email honeyhole English. Don't do that. Eight 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 six five three. Zero 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 nine, and if you make an official report, please let us know so we can report on it. We would love that. We would appreciate it. Cool. All right, I like that story. Maybe we can be heroes. Maybe. All right. Next up, we have Cliff's Conservation, Conservation Corner. Corner. Mm-hmm. C cubed. Right. C cubed. C. Yeah. <laughs> I need another C to make it C four. <laughs> Not yet. All right, so Cliff's cool conservation. Yes. <laughs> C four. C four. All right. So I have this one's gonna be short. Uh it's on lemurs. Lemurs. I like lemurs. Lemurs are cool. Like ringtail lemurs? This might make you sad. What? Oh, who brings us where does this article come from? It is coming from the International Union of Constant for conservation of nature, which is a pretty well-known like conservation organization website publication, like it's based out of Europe, so it's kind of like a EU style agency that okay. kind of governs conservation around the world. Sweet, um, but according to the International Union of Conservation for Conservation of Nature, 
from henceforth will be known as IUCN, 31% of all lemur species in Madagascar are now critically endangered. 31%. 31%. How many types of lemurs are there? Uh, 107. What? Yeah, and the numbers don't make sense to me. So like 34 lemurs are in critical condition. Species. Yeah, 34 species, species of But that's lemurs. why I like this, these numbers don't make sense to me uh, that are outlined on here. Okay. But well. I pulled them straight from their website, so I'm, who am I? That's probably like, I'm just going to throw this out there, like, you know, panfish, like they just all interbreed and you get like these combination panfish that you can catch. Or it could be the metric system. Could be. I have no idea how they got this because it says thirty one it said <laughs> it said thirty one percent of all lemur species in Madagascar in Madagascar Madagascar are now critically endangered. Okay. It's sad. It's classifi- classification is one step away from extinct. What? Yeah. Or extinction. Like the dodo? I guess. Were the dodos in Madagascar too? All right, so it says New Zealand. Mm, okay. I had I printed out like a list of like the chart that they use, going from like least threatened all the way to like actually extinct. I knew it was one of the tiny islands. And it says uh, that list goes from reading left to right is not evaluated, so they don't have any data on it or data deficient. And then it goes into least concerned, near threatened, vulnerable, endangered, critically endangered, extinct in the wild, and then extinct. Right. So this one, they're saying that the lemurs are critically endangered, so they're one step away from extinct, extinct in, in the, the wild. wild. Um. So the... IUCN's red list of threatened species concluded that over half of the primate species in the rest of Africa are also under threat. And this is where, like, I don't understand, like, how they're getting 31% because it also states, and maybe I've just read the article wrong, but 103 of the 107 surviving species of lemur are now threatened Due to okay, so maybe so it's like saying that like the majority of lemurs are, are threatened, threatened, but but thirty percent of them are, are extremely in critical condition. Correct, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of it's due to deforestation and hunting. Which are people hunting the lemurs? Yeah, apparently, thirteen species have been pushed to higher threat. Uh, because of intensifying human pressures, these species are undergoing substantial declines as their forest habitats continue to be destroyed through slash and burn agriculture, as well as by lo- logging for logging and charcoal for charcoal for, for it says fuel wood, um, hunting for their threatens. The Verizosifica, I don't know, (laughs) despite being, it's illegal to hunt them and is like considered taboo, but there's still still poachers. Yeah. Dang. So, yeah, apparently the cute little lemurs from Zabumafu. 
Man, I love Zaboomafoo. Yeah, it was a solid PBS show. It taught me everything I know. About lemurs. Just, no, just everything in general. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Cliff. It's, it's going to be short this week. Hey, wow. I still enjoyed it. I like learning about lemurs. Mm-hmm. You know? All right, guys. Next up. I actually did work on this. Like, I pulled this Monday. I like, and, like that. I thought over some stuff and it all shows. this other stuff, but it was it's still pretty concise and short. Yeah, nice. Pretty great. They're getting harder and harder to find, like these conservation stories that really? are like. There's a lot out there, but of like interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like to keep interested. it. Yeah, yeah, I'm the one who has to look it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the true. That's so true, though, because when I look up articles, I probably cycle through 20 and I'm like, uh, you know, that's actually probably cool. It's being reported on, so it's actually good. But like, am I interested in it? Uh, not as much. Well, nice to be on Creature Watch. Oh, a soundbite. What happened to the others? They're all pretty great. (laughs) (laughs) I'll never tell. (laughs) All right, guys. This week on Creature Watch, I'm talking to you about something that has been called the most American folktale in America. I'll be the judge of that. All right. Well, we'll see. Wait, hold on. Let me reset that. If it doesn't involve bald eagles, I'll be the judge of that. I mean, it's got some. <laughs> I mean, it's he got, puts a dip in. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's got something to do with uh, with the wings, like wing creatures. Uh-huh. Hey, I want to do a hot take real quick. Okay. Okay. Sorry to interrupt, but your <laughs> no, your, you're not. Your story, your story sparked it. Okay. The turkey, the wild turkey, should be America's. Should have been America's bird, national bird. Yeah, but like who, like realistically? Okay, I'll change (laughs) it right now. When you look at something majestic and beautiful, do you imagine a turkey? No, no. No. Turkeys are extremely cool. I'm just gonna throw that out there. They're a goofy looking animal. Yeah, but when I think of like freedom. Turkey doesn't go through my mind. No. Right, but do you but think that's... That could be symbolism now. I think that it's probably symbolism. No, but Ben they, Franklin wanted it to be a turkey. Yeah. I mean, turkeys would be cool. I don't they know. They actually would have... They probably would not have been as close to being extinct, extinct had well, that been the case. You know, I, I, I just feel like eagles... People start hunting do, bald eagles do what, instead of turkeys. Bald eagles do what they want. They take steel fish from ospreys because they're like, I can take it, I can do it. Turkeys, they're like... Hunted by everything. Everything eats turkeys. Plus, I mean, they're so stupid. Sometimes when it rains, they look up and drown to death. Well, those are just chickens. Turkeys do it too. I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, have but you seen them? Let me let me throw this. Like, turkeys are actually really smart, though. I started talking yeah. to a turkey hunter. <laughs> I started, yeah, but they fly like crap, dude. Can you imagine like America's birds? Like, <laughs> like I like, started. Yeah, I kind of thought about it like the other day. For some reason, it popped in my head, and I started thinking. Well, bald eagles, they're not, like, prolific throughout the entire country like the turkey is. Yeah. Plus, Turks are just kind of like fat pimps, so. <laughs> yeah, they are. I mean, like. <laughs> they're walking around just strutting like, yeah. Right. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I don't think you're going to convince me to change America's freedom bird to. You might no, convince I, me. I don't want them to change it. Yeah. I'm just saying, like. I can see that it. is an argument that was made back in 1700s. Yeah, but turkeys get hunted by everything. It just they're weak compared to other animals. Bald eagles not weak. Yeah, turkeys don't have large talons. Turkeys can't like take a small dog or a house cat from your yard. That's true. I mean, like they Those spurs on them can get three inches. Yeah, yeah that's pretty. But they get hunted by cats, man. 
and they're pretty aggressive. I've been chased by turkeys. Yeah, but I, like at the end of the day, I could take a turkey. I don't know if I could take a bald eagle with my bare hands. It's, I feel like if you got murdered by a bald eagle, <laughs> that's just the way to go. <laughs> <laughs> that's, just, that's America's way. <laughs> <laughs> the new drone strike. <laughs> Okay, guys, so I'm bringing you the story of the Mothman. Ooh, yeah, yeah. never heard of him, but really, really, it's a pretty big, like, apparently not. I haven't heard of it. It's America's folktale, apparently not. Well, I live in America and I haven't heard this folktale. Well, Uh, do you think maybe because we lived on the East Coast and it's kind of more of an East Coast thing? Yeah, because like it's based (laughs) on America's folktale if it's an East Coast. I mean, it's, it's a pretty well-known like folk tale. Yeah. Ian, have you heard it, The Mothman? I have not. All right, like I would put it up there with like Bigfoot and like no. Chupacabra. Yeah, actually, no. I would I would put it up there with Chupacabra. Like I would say, just as many people know about the Mothman. Well, I would say Chupacabra is in the South. Right, like, I wouldn't go to like Ohio and expect anybody to know what a Chupacabra is. No. Well, no, they don't have Texas State Fairs there. Yeah. Why would they know what a chupacabra is? <laughs> Speaking of the chupacabra, the San Antonio Zoo has a chupacabra exhibit, and we need to go and report that. on it. We definitely. We like. I feel like Wait, we did have they to. Find one? Let's go this weekend. Dude, it is our duty. San Antonio's, dude, San Antonio's chupacabra exhibit is totally the same guy from the Texas State Fair. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, I got some questions for him, down. so we're good. Well, he the fairs are closed because of COVID, and he's like, I can take my contract to the zoo. All right. I'm down if you, if that's what you want to do this weekend because my plans are still up in the air. You're not going hunting. I don't know. There, it's up in the air. Dude, but if we nail something down for a chip of cobra story at the zoo, I'm I'm, I'm there. Okay. I'm, okay. <laughs> we'll dude, talk about this off air. Let's go hunting this weekend for chupacabra. Bro, I'm Let's go on is there a bag limit? I'll see if my license supports it. Ooh, to get the a good creature watch would be a snipe. <laughs> a snipe. Ooh, I didn't even do a snipe. Um, Can you imagine, like, Texas Parks and Wildlife selling, like, a chupacabra stamp, like, migratory animal, you need to pay $25 for it? I'm going to die right now. <laughs> do what? I'm about to pass out right now. <laughs> All right. The floor is yours, Zach. All right. So the Mothman... <laughs> Are you okay? Zach can't get a word in. It smells so bad. (laughs) No, I thought it's because we were interrupting you. I didn't know it's because Cliff ripped one. Good God, I can smell it. (laughs) That is horrible. What? What Dude, dude, dude. I want to die. It's so bad. That is horrible. I know. How do you expect us to podcast in these conditions? Oh, dude, I can still smell it. I'm 10 feet away. <laughs> oh god it's so bad <laughs> Zach guys. are you laughing because like Cliff like let out a gas oh. bomb or, like, yeah, it was it silent just, it's pretty bad it just, just kind of hit me and now I just like don't want to live anymore well Zach when you started laughing I thought you were laughing because we wouldn't let you do your segment no. and I didn't realize it was it's that Cliff slowly. ripped one until I smelt it it's because I'm Cliff, dying. what did you have for what did you have for dinner Canes. Canes. Oh, yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's been okay, pretty guys. rough over here. Like, I'm 
I want this podcast to end so I can go to the bathroom. You can go to the bathroom. I want this creature watch. <laughs> That's America's favorite segment. Okay, it is America's favorite segment. All right, guys. The Mothman. So, y'all want to call me in and I'll dip from the John? <laughs> <laughs> Pull up Discord. <laughs> oh, man. All right, guys. So, what year do you think? Mothman was first sighted. I feel like it's a pretty. I feel like it's a pretty old one. Okay. Uh, I want to say forties. Okay. Landon. Eighteen sixty three. Okay. And Ian. Nineteen ninety six. No, you know the rule. It has to be pre nineteen ninety five. Oh. Uh, 1992. <laughs> yes, my birth year. <laughs> no, actually, it was November 12th, 1966, in a place called Clindenon, West Virginia. Oh, it was a specific date. They nailed down a specific date. Well, yeah, because the guy in Clindenon, West Virginia, saw it. Hmm. So, it was a grave digger, and he's out middle of the night. Don't yeah, that, know why. Okay, if you start off with, he's a grave digger, that's just... Okay, go on. Yeah, he's a grave digger. It's a respectable job. People have to do it. Mm-hmm. Right? We have to have graves. It ain't much, I'm but just it's saying, he's gonna creep. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say he's going <laughs> to see creepy stuff. Yeah, exactly. So he's out there digging his graves, I guess, and he spots something strange. He glanced up, and all of a sudden he sees this huge flying creature above him, and the creature's moving from tree to tree, right? And he's like, that's pretty weird. Like jumping or like swinging like a monkey or like flying? Like I imagine like jump, flap, 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 land. Jump, flap, flap, turkey flap. Turkey style. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like a turkey. turkey. Like a turkey, right? Um, and this was known as the first reported sighting of the Mothman. The crazy thing is like nobody has ever seen this creature before. But then all of a sudden this grave digger sees one. And then two days later... A couple is walking around middle of the night, and they see another huge creature that's probably six or seven feet tall flying around, right? Mm-hmm. The creature never really at- seems to attack anybody, but it does have these bright red eyes that are about six inches apart. It has a wingspan of 10 feet, and it flies at incredible speeds. They say maybe up to 100 miles an hour. There's you know a 2002 like? movie called Mothman Prophecies. There are. There's quite a few uh, movies and books about the Mothman. There's a movie that this creature sounds like. Maybe I'm thinking, it's probably been since middle school since I've seen it. Jeepers Creepers, maybe? Yeah, Jeepers Creepers. It sounds maybe like a Jeepers Creepers type creature. Yeah, it could be. Jeepers Creepers only comes around every like 27 years, though. This guy is like all the time. Oh, okay. Wait, all is right. Jeepers Creepers the same thing as it? <laughs> Like Pennywise? No. No. Because wasn't he every 20? Isn't it like Jeepers Creepers more like a sta- scarecrow type? Jeepers Creepers might be like every 14 years, not 27. Uh-huh. Same concept. Um, so they say that he maybe can fly up to 100 miles an hour. However, it's, it's been noted in several times that he is also very clumsy on the ground. So he can't walk very well. Interesting. Well, right. think about the moth that we saw earlier. That's true. Maybe he's, like, dragging his wings, too, and he's tripping over them. Mm-hmm. Like, I could get it. Um, they assumed that everyone who said they sighted that were crazy and they were seeing things, right? Is it safe to return to the table? Yeah. Yeah. Um, after 1966, though, there were more and more sightings all across West Virginia. 
um, a man named Robert L. Smith actually believes that these are actually sandhill cranes, which are as tall as a man, have about six, seven foot wingspan, and they have bright red eyes. Mm. That would be a good dinner. Right? Ribeye of the sky. Ribeye of the sky. Long sandhill crane. Um, so maybe they think it might be a deformed crane because this area of West Virginia was known for making um, ammunition for World War II, which they deemed the TNT land. So they think maybe some of the chemicals they used to make the ammunition got into this crane and it turned it into this giant, weird, winged, bright-eyed creature. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a local prankster. He dresses up like a huge mothman, and then whenever he needs to go into hiding, he actually hides in the TNT place. Mm. How did no one, like, to catch this moth, why don't people just shine a bright light? So they have. They shine a bright light, but all they see are two bright red eyes reflecting back. They yeah, actually but, don't you see know, moths are drawn to light, so you shine the light. The mothman should be all over it. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Just shine a light, and all of a sudden you have like ten Mothman all around you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, our our lights on, guys. Where's the Mothman? At? Mothman. Um. So the story after 1966 started to spread throughout the entire Northeast American area, right through Ohio, Tennessee, West Virginia, everywhere. I'm sorry I didn't make it here to Texas for Landon and Ian. I know that you guys are disappointed that you don't know about the Mothman. Um, but everywhere people said that they were seeing the Mothman hidden in birds, hidden in weird shapes. They'd wake up in their room and see a weird shadow in their corner. Think the Mothman was watching them at night. Um, that was a Sandman, right? Some think it's actually a demon because there's a lot of folklore that describes demons as the way the Mothman looks Mm. huge winged creatures with bright red eyes. As a very, as a Christian, uh, yeah, that would be terrifying. Right. Weird red-eyed creature staring at you. Some oh. people believe it's a UFO or an alien. Now we're just getting off track. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, however, there are a couple weird things. So Point Pleasant, West Virginia, right? It's pretty close to the border of West Virginia and Ohio. Um, has had strange things ever since the sighting, right? It was like this lovely little town, middle of nowhere, West Virginia. And ever since the Mothman was first sighted, they've had crazy things happen, right? It sounds like the plot of Stranger Things. It might be. Maybe Stranger Things is really just the Mothman prophecy. <laughs> um, so in 1967, exactly one year after they first saw the Mothman, um, there was an awful bridge accident that collapsed the bridge and 45 people drowned in the freezing river below. Really? Yep. There's like document- documentaries and stuff. Yeah, on the Mothman. I'm really surprised you've never heard of it. Yeah, I'm, me too. It's pretty. I mean, it's pretty out there. Um, like I was Apparently excited to not. do this one because I consider myself well informed. But <laughs> and then the last thing I have is it is also Point Pleasant, where a lot of Mothmen have been seen, um, home to many UFO sightings, and many claim to see the Mothman uh, before they die. So uh, maybe the Mothman is like the Reaper. Hmm. You know. Coming to collect his people. I'm going to collect your soul. Right. Exactly. Just like Cliff said. Mm. That's terrifying. Interesting. So. So, America's Creature Watch. Mm. Yeah, that's for America. So, I don't know. Interesting. I am surprised you've never heard the Mothman. Because it is like, it's pretty out there. 
Never heard yeah, of it. I would say, like, when I think of, like, cryptozoology, like, creatures and stuff. It's like Nessie, Bigfoot, Mothman. Mothman. Now Slenderman's getting up there Yeti. pretty a bit. Oh, that's still Bigfoot. Yeah, Yeti's just Bigfoot and snow. Higher altitude, Bigfoot. Yeah. Mike Wazowski. Mike Wazowski. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, I, I never heard the Mothman, I gotta say. You need to read more. You need to spend more time on Reddit. <laughs> I already spent enough time on Reddit. I don't need to do more. All right, that's it for me. What's our next, our last segment? So, our last segment is we are going to talk about new technology in like hunting and fishing. Do you need the latest and greatest gear? And yes, do you need to up? (laughs) Cliff said yes, took his headset off. He's like, I'm done. Do you need the latest and greatest gear? And is it, is there enough technological advances that you need to upgrade when new gear comes out? This episode is brought to you by Cox Contour TV. Sometimes it's hard to decide what to watch, but Cox Contour TV helps make that decision easier. Enjoy live TV, on-demand programs, DVR recordings, and music all in one place. And only with the sound of your voice with the Contour Voice Remote. Plus, catch the golf and basketball action you've been waiting for on the Contour Sports app. Learn more at coxcox.com slash contour. This episode is brought to you by Cox Contour TV. Sometimes it's hard to decide what to watch, but Cox Contour TV helps make that decision easier. Enjoy live TV, on-demand programs, DVR recordings, and music all in one place. And only with the sound of your voice with the Contour Voice Remote. Plus, catch the golf and basketball action you've been waiting for on the Contour Sports app. Learn more at coxcox.com slash contour. Ian, what do you think? Um, what activity? Hunting, fishing? My general answer would be no, you don't. Because I shoot a 30-year-old gun and I don't buy rods that often. Yeah. Um, but, it, I mean, it really depends on what it is. Like, optics, very important. Uh, you mean to actually pursue the activity? Um that's a hard question. But, uh, okay, so let, uh, let me let me rephrase this. Hunting, no. Let, let let's Fishing. break it down. Let's break it down. Okay, yeah. and we, this may span out over a couple podcasts. Let's talk about fly rods. I think it's so hard to tie it down because, like, do you need the newest one every year? No, right? Technology doesn't change that fast. Mm-hmm. But sometimes <laughs> there is like a new technology that really makes some leaps, right? Um, do you ever need it? No, you never need the new technology. As long as you, what you have is getting the job done. My thing is it's, it's probably worth it if it's making the leaps, but I, so I've worked in retail the last 10 years. All I've ever known is like technology and outdoor equipment. It seems like to me that a lot of the best technological advances have been in the last 10 years. Um, some companies like, to put out new gear every year and it's not really an improvement. They're just saying new gear, they can market it, call it new, right. and then people will buy it. In that case, no, but 
Um, I'm I'm going to, um, you know, speak on. I'll speak on behalf of what I know. Orvis. I know that Orvis spends about six years between like rod lines, changing rod lines. And I know that they will not like update a rod unless they truly feel like it's an improvement. Now, how much of an improvement, I don't know. Um, like between the Helios 2 and Helios 3, they're very different rods. It's hard, you know. Right. And there's like physical statistics you can look at. Yes, the Helios 3 is stronger by measurable statistics, but is it strong enough to warrant the upgrade? Because you already bought a premium rod, the Helios 2. And I have Helios 2s that I'm not trading up for Helios 3s, but I don't know. I just, I, I, my opinion is I feel like a lot of the best advancements have been made just kind of across the board in the outdoor industry in the last 10 years. And I don't see materials getting more waterproof. I don't see rods getting lighter. Like, I don't know how a flat rod's going to get lighter. Like, I think they're making them literally as light as they can make them. Maybe they can make them stronger, but I don't know how they can make them much stronger. Right. Um, like you feel like we've like it's hard to imagine what the future of fly rods looks like. Yeah, other than lasting, yes, self casting. You know they could change the flex and they could cast differently. But as far as like a new technology, you know that's what some companies do. They'll come out with like, oh, we haven't made like a super slow rod, so we're going to make a line of slow rods. Right, that makes sense. Or maybe a slow rod that's not as heavy as a. Um, Fiberglass. Yeah, right. there's companies that do that. Right. Yeah. So So there is room for improvement. There's room for like niche areas. Right. But I don't know. I just have a hard time seeing how like rifles how I don't I can't picture That's what I'm saying, man. Like how, they all get the job done. How well, can the basic you, mechanics of a gun have been the exact same for mm-hmm. since They've been out. Yeah. They've changed some of the materials to make it lighter. It's like a composite stock versus a wood stock. They've changed like using different barrel materials to lighten it up. They've started fluting barrels or fluting the bolt or something like that to cut out extra material that's not necessarily needed Mm -hmm. and making a helical pattern in that which creates it to be more stronger so that they can get the same strength using less material and that makes it lighter. But the overall like true mechanics of a gun, they've been the same for, I don't know how long, but I would say years. Yeah. I will say though, technology will get cheaper over time. Like the new technology that's really expensive now will be cheaper in the future. But I, I just I, will it I go, or is it only cheaper when newer technology comes out, right? Yeah, but my so my thing is if newer technology comes out and everything is being trickled up. Um, oh yeah, today's top technology will be much cheaper in fifteen years. Yeah, but even like you know, now, I think it gets cheaper for them to make. Like yeah. pre- probably pretty rapidly sourcing more than so? yeah, because yeah, I think like sourcing the materials, like other companies, like the the raw material extractors, probably become more efficient in the way that they do that. They pass some savings on. They pass some savings on. It's just more and more efficient down the line, and mm-hmm. materials and stuff or the end product 
gets a little bit cheaper. Now, if they pass that same, like, principle to us is another story. Right. Because they know, like, oh, they're going to pay $500 for this rifle anyway. I'm going to still charge them $500 when it costs me 100 It cost me a 350 to make it. Now it's costing me 250 to make it. I'm just going to pocket that press because mm-hmm. the market's already showing that it'll do. Well, that that that's a whole nother that's yeah. a whole nother conversation. I think I think they change. I used to work in engineering, not as the engineer, but in uh, uh, engineering business. And usually, what they do when they're improving something that they can't go beyond is what, like Cliff said, either the materials are really cost reduced or they change material. Right. So you have like natural materials, which would be like carbon based things like wood fibers, et cetera. You have synthetic materials um, or I'm sorry, you have uh, you have like metallic materials, steel, aluminum, iron based things. Those are kind of carbon based, too. But and then you have like non-metallic uh, polymers, things like that. So mm-hmm. if fly rods get lighter, I bet it would probably be some sort of lab built material yeah because i mean graphite's really light though like the graphite fly rod i'm not sure when it came out is awesome because they used to be made out of wood you know yeah i'd say like early 80s is it early 80s not when they like first probably not when they first came out but when they were first being introduced it was was big fiberglass that was post-world war ii was big fiberglass era era because um, they had all this fiberglass technology come out during right, World War II. Right. Um, and new materials get invented, so I would say that might be the next innovation for my, fly rods. Well, and my thing is, is like the game changers have to come with a whole new like idea, like Yeti cooler. If you think about Yeti coolers, they changed the cooler game. They changed the cooler game, Quite literally. like literally. And so, like, yeah, like, they did. You know, like. Unless you can, like, think of something that just has a lot of room for improvement, like a graphite fly rod, I don't know. Like, you can make improvements, but I don't know if they're worth it enough to... Sorry, we have a neighbor pulling in. I'm wondering, like, Landon and Zach and Cliff, I have a question for you guys. Do you think rods have changed more or reels? I think reels... Yeah, or line. I feel like I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Kind of to me, a a reel's a reel. There's really good reels that were made 30 years ago that still are great today. I mean, I I'm not going to get into the details because it's too hard to explain. But like I I know Orvis, so like I know on their higher end reel, like they patented something that no other company's doing, and I think it's really cool because I'm kind of like a nerd, but. Like, the average consumer doesn't really care. Are they and doing that on their high-end reel or on all of their reels? On their high-end reel. Okay. Yeah, on their high-end reel. It's definitely a high-end feature. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say what feature. it is because no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say what it is because it's too hard to explain over a podcast. Is it something on, like, the new Mirages? It's the Mirage reel, the USA reel, not the LT. But it's not a new reel coming out. It's no, all, it's not It's all the ones it's that on are the, already out. ones that are already out, yeah. Okay. But, like, that's such a minor change. Is it really upgrading to that for that? Probably not, no. Um, but it's an improvement. So, you know, or, like, I had to say materials, but I, at the same time, in the past 
five to ten years, so many new materials have been product tested by so many companies. Not for flies? Uh, not even for flies. I'm thinking like, let's say, let's say jackets or let's just oh, say yeah, jackets. Yeah. You think about North Face, Patagonia, Arcteryx. The last 10 years has changed. They are, you know, searching for materials for like mountaineers and that can trickle down a flight. Like if those guys are putting all that money into R&D, like how many more materials are there? Like Gore-Tex has already been around for 10, 20 years, years probably. I will, you know. I think that's the biggest market for, uh, like, innovation and product change and stuff like that. Is what? Is, like, clothing material that we use in the outdoor. Well, I think think clothes can always be lighter. They can be more quiet. They can keep you warmer. They can can keep you drier. They can be more durable. Yeah. I think that's where, like... More comfortable. I don't know, but how much further... Like, yes, you could do one or two of those things in a jacket, but how much further could you go? I will say the waders hanging on your wall right there are made out of Cordura. First pair of waders ever to be made out of Cordura. And they've been making stuff out of Cordura... For years. For years. But that's the first pair for waders. But that's the first pair for waders. Are they lighter? They're definitely tougher. No, they're not lighter. They are Cordura is known for being tough. Yeah. It's a tough material. And with that material, they had some interesting ways they have to use it to make it waterproof. Well, what Cordura is naturally water resistant. Right? When they because it's those fibers that are wound. It's a it's a fiber, so I'd say that Cordura on its like native self probably isn't water resistant. Maybe just usually when they use it, they have that TWR finish. Yeah. I think, but I think that's where like, if you're asking the question, like how often should I upgrade certain pieces of gear? I would say the clothing and stuff side of things is the one that you would upgrade most often, not just because of like wear and tear or like human growth. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I ate too much this year. Yeah, now but fatter. so, but, so okay. Every company has Primaloft jackets. Primaloft is pretty much the industry standard for a synthetic down jacket. Right. So down is a feather. Um, it's like duck goose or feather. goose yeah. feathers. Um, the problem with down is that it reta- doesn't retain its heat when it gets wet. So it's a great lightweight, very warm material. And it packs up. And it packs crazy. super small. Yeah. And that's great. But if it gets wet, you're kind of. It's useless. It's useless. And in the activities we do, fishing, potential to get wet. You can't use hunting, down when you're fishing, really. Potential to get wet. Hiking, potential to get wet. Camping, mountaineering, whatever. And so then, you know, in the past 10 years, Primaloft has come along. It's a synthetic down. It retains 80% of its warmth when it's wet. It's extremely water-resistant. And basically, Patagonia, Arcteryx, Orvis, Sims, North Face, they all are buying Primaloft insulation because it is the premium material. Now, you look at like an Orvis or a Sims Primaloft jacket, it's more tailored to fishing. So there's probably more room in the arms for you to cast and stuff like that. If you look at a mountaineering version, maybe from Arcteric, there's going to be more athletic cut. So these companies are taking that material and fitting it to their market. But, I mean, every um, Primo Loft is the go-to. And I don't but know. But they could come out with one that's warmer. But I, th- I think, like, the cross, the cross industry 
aspect of it is what makes the gear better and more advanced because i know like right now there's studies and stuff where they're actually looking at the way carp uh scales are like formatted and stuff Mm -hmm. and making a body armor of it because they're saying that the the way that the pattern of the carp is giving it it's like shield Mm -hmm. almost of being such a durable fish and then using these ballistic materials that can stop bullets and they're in doing from the flat jacket like uh, steel plate Mm -hmm. in the front steel plate in the back and moving towards more of this carpy scale looking pattern Mm -hmm. for body armor for the military and officers and Mm -hmm. people to use and utilizing that now because it gives them more flexibility while still being protected Mm mm-hmm now, if it's really giving them more flexibility and being protected, could we not use that in like the shoulders and the elbow regions or high movement areas in a jacket and giving you more room to cast, more room to throw up a shotgun, more room to pull up your rifle, more room to squeeze around trees and stuff while still being a little bit more durable? Would you not pay Are for you that? Are you taking like the scales example you're saying? Yes. Like if they included that into your hunting or fishing gear, because I've been in, I've been fishing before where my jacket just seems to always pull in my shoulders or pull across like my, my tricep or something. And it just gets annoying. Whereas if it would move more naturally, would it be as annoying? And that would still be an innovation and your clothes, because you wear them more than just, honestly, more than just for the activity, because mm-hmm. you like, it's something that like reminds you of what you'd rather be doing. Yeah. So people just wear their fishing stuff out or wear their hunting stuff out. Yeah. Well, I, I'll, yeah, I, I kind of see what you're saying. I would say mountaineering companies are the best at making jackets and like clothing that is, like, made for specific types of movement. I don't know. And then, you know, you think about, like, fishing. Like, you know, you're not ice climbing a mountain. Do you... And then they're trying to, like, fit a size for a wide range of people, which you're pretty tall. Um, so it's probably harder for you to find clothes. You, you already said it's hard for you to find clothes that fit, mm-hmm. and that's just kind of across the board. Um, is that more of a technological advancement, or is that just more of a sizing issue? of you know i have a i I always end up being a tweener size like i end up being like like 14 year old tweener (laughs) yeah i end up being like in between like a large and an extra large yeah like i'll try a large on it's barely too tight and i try extra large on it's too big and so like ultimately no i get that i mean even today like when we were at bass pro i tried on well that one it just happened to so worked that the medium worked out mm-hmm. but there before you got there and i was, said i was in that other section i was trying on different sizes so i get that it could be a sizing thing but i don't know yeah i just i really don't think and i'm getting here's my mentality i want to buy good quality gear that lasts and i don't mind paying more i don't feel like the technology is going to significantly change to where i'm going to regret my decision so I'm going to spend good money on stuff that I want, and I'm going to wear it 
as long as I can. And yeah, I'd rather I spend agree. money on something that's going to last than have to buy it four times. Yeah, dude, buy once, cry once. Buy once, cry once. That's right. I mean, I get that. And I've I never heard that. Agree. Yeah. But as far as like the gear of the actual stuff we use, like bow, your bow, I don't think that it's necessary to upgrade it every year. No, yeah, I talked. No, no. To, I talked to bow hunters, and they're using their bows that are fifteen years old. Rifles. Think about it. We all. You just said you're using your grandfather's over and under. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are stuff. I mean, it clearly hasn't changed. Might be lighter ones. Might be some other stuff, but it's not something that you like, well, now I got to go get the new over and under for this year yeah, or something like that. I think so much more now too. It's like how good a customer service the companies you buy from Mm -hmm. and warranty. Like I know I'm going to be buying Orvis for a long time because I know I could walk into a store and I'm going to get taken care of. Mm -hmm. And there's like a satisfaction that, and I know that they are putting out quality gear that is competitive in the market, but I'm also going to get the customer service when I go there. I'm going to buy Vortex. Well, it just brings us... Because Vortex, if I drop it in the field and something happens, they're going to replace it. It just brings us back to the the Costa podcast. Mm -hmm. We all bought Costas underneath, or with the assumption of that we would have the old warranty for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. My Costas broke. They are no longer Mm -hmm. recognizing that warranty. Now I'm not buying Costa. And that's on you, Costa. That's on you, Costa. But my my overall ending thoughts on this conversation, everyone can put their opinion. I don't think technology is significantly changing unless you have a situation like Yeti where something is just totally reinvented. I think we're at a point now where people are creative, they're innovative, and like a lot of things have been tried and tested already and we're kind of at a point where some of the best technologies out there unless my only caveat to that would be like digital technology yeah like gps mapping things like that my caveat would be gps technology or like digital technology that's only going to get better tech in general tech in general but like hard goods i think we're at a point where bow you could shoot cliff you could shoot your bow for 10 years and I don't think Matthews is gonna. Matthews is probably gonna come out with a bow every year, every couple of years, and like how many year. more yeah, they feet per second on your arrow can can you, you really get? get? You know what I mean. I think the biggest thing for bows right now, what I see is a lot of movement towards uh, like carbon risers and stuff, which just makes it a little bit lighter and warmer to the touch if you're hunting cold environments yeah but do you want to get weak arms carry a heavy bow cliff come on i'm just saying it, it's a fatigue yeah thing yeah over for time. Sure. no i understand but no my bow that i have now is the bow that i'm going to run for multiple multiple years mm-hmm. whereas the bow i sold you you're like, oh, this one's crap. No, it wasn't. It wasn't that I thought it was crap. It w- was supposed to be a multiple year bow, but also you fell hard. Yeah, yeah, I understand. All right, guys, thanks for listening to. Thanks for joining us on the Honey Hole Hangout. Honey Hole Hangout. Thanks for hanging out, guys. Thanks for hanging out. It's like you were here, especially you from Canada and Germany, and Netherlands, and Netherlands. 
Was it Netherlands? It was Netherlands. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's correct. Thank you. All right. All right. See you next week. Sayonara. Bye, guys. It's not on anymore. <laughs> <laughs>